So, if you didn't know, we are in the fourth week of a sermon series we're calling Belonging, and it's based on a Bible study by Deborah Myers Abbs called about it's about God's call for accessibility and inclusion of all people in Christian communities. And so far, we've learned how God sees us, God knows us, and God invites us, all of us, into a life with Him and a life with one another. And so this week, as we enter in the second half of the sermon series, we're going to see how God offers a place for each and every one of us. Man, that's my favorite thing about coming here on Sundays. We've already seen God offering a place for so many different people to serve and be a part of worship and praise. And so to get started today, I want to introduce you to someone. I've I've talked to you before about my friend Brian. He passed away, actually, two years ago, exactly this week, of complications from Duchenne muscular dystrophy. He was just 24, and he was an amazing young man. I miss all the time hanging out with him, going on mission trips with him, and generally, you know, just being his friend. And But one of the people that Brian introduced me to was Darius Weems. Darius actually died seven years ago this week, also of Duchenne muscular dystrophy. He was 27. I I never met my my best friend, who didn't know he was my best friend, in person. (laughs) But I got to know him through television interviews that he did, music he recorded, and the impact that he had on muscular dystrophy awareness. Brian actually had brought a documentary about Darius that he shared with his school. He shared it with our youth group about a trip that Darius had made. He'd never left his hometown, and he made this trip at the age of 15 from Athens, Georgia, all the way to Los Angeles, and then to San Francisco as he sought to show the world the impact of the disease, the impact of the American with Disabilities Act, and the impact that friendship can have on someone's life. Do y'all remember Jerry Lewis and the telethons? Well, what D- Darius didn't know who he was, and his friends didn't know, so they decided that people his age needed a new person to look to, some sort of new awareness, because those telethons aren't as, as, as present as they used to be, so our awareness of muscular dystrophy isn't as present as it used to be. So he decided, you know who kids my age really look up to? MTV. So one of the other reasons they went out to California in his, and in, in they were in an in a, in a RV, but he was in his, his powered wheelchair, was to see if MTV would pimp Darius's ride, <laughs> his wheelchair. And his friend and filmmaker, Logan Smalley, this is how he described it five years ago in a TED Talk. Darius's adventure began here at a summer camp for kids with disabilities in our hometown of Athens, Georgia. Darius and his big brother Mario were both my campers and they were also my friends. They were born with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, a fatal degenerative disease that ultimately affects every muscle in the body. On average, kids with DMD die in their late teens or early 20s. Mario passed away the year that this picture was taken. He was just 19. In the same year, Darius transitioned to his first wheelchair, 
And this was a profound moment for Darius. He'd just seen his brother die, and he'd just become old enough and mature enough to really understand what the doctors meant by these words. It's 100% fatal, and there is no treatment. So what did he do? He convinced his friends to take him on a road trip west. For three weeks in the summer of 2005, our goals were to test wheelchair accessibility across the United States, to raise funds and awareness for DMD, and to convince the producers of MTV's hit show, Pimp My Ride, to customize Darius's wheelchair on national television. Footage from the trip became a successful nonprofit documentary, and ultimately, Darius would travel over 300,000 miles by road across his lifetime, sharing his story with supporters around the world. It's pretty cool. It's a, it's a pretty awesome documentary, too. And if you want to know how it ended, how, how just how pimped out his ride was, you can actually see it on YouTube. It's free on YouTube without ads now. You just look up Darius Goes West, and you can find out what happened with Darius and his friends. Darius, though, what makes that film and what makes him so impactful is his infectious personality. He draws you in as you get to know this young man. You get to know him as so much more than just, I don't know, like a poster child for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And that's impressive because the film, all, I think it's what, 120-some minutes of documentary, is about seeing Darius in terms of his disability, right? It's about seeing the impact that DMD has on his life and the life of his friends, and yet by the end, you kind of stop seeing his disability. You're so drawn in by who he is as a person. And I kept thinking of that tension as I read our scripture for today, the tension between being seen as more than just one part of who you are. So in this case, being seen as more than just your disability, while also knowing that your disability is an important part of the story that you want to tell the world. I am more than just this one thing, but I need you to know about this one thing. And you can feel that tension today in our story about King David and his, and, and Mephibosheth, which is the son of his best friend, Jonathan. So this is 2 Kings, or 2 Kings, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. David asked, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and he was summoned to David. The king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, Your servant is he. The king said, Is there anyone remaining in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, son of Amiel, at Lodibar. Aww. Then King David, oh, don't show pity. Sorry. <laughs> I learned. <laughs> then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. 
And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and did obeisance. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore you at the, to the, all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And so Mephibosheth did obeisance and said, What is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog such as I? And then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's son. You and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's son may be, have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants of his own. And then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you and praise you that you welcome us to your table always and that you welcome all of us and that you see all of us. You know all of us, everything about us. And so we pray today that as you look upon us, as you see each and every one of us, that you speak to each of us the word that we know. We know that you know we need to hear. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, am I the only one that felt really awkward at the end of that reading? It felt like I just stopped in mid-thought, mid right? Like, it, it's more than a little awkward. Like, this is how I think chapter 9, because this is the whole chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. This is how I think it should have ended. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Period. Done. Story over. There's nothing left to say. Except the author of 2 Samuel decides to add, now he was lame in both his feet. Period. And then we go on to chapter 10 and an entirely new story. Like, what? Okay. We knew that already. Like Zika already said, Ziba already said that. So why bring it up again at the end of the story? Like, that's just random. Like, of all the different things that make Mephibosheth who he is, and for all the different reasons Mephibosheth is important to David's story, why give his disability the last word? <laughs> well, for starters, it helps to know where exactly we are in David's story. Because David is now King David. Saul's, Saul's army has been defeated once and for all. Saul is dead, and so is his son Jonathan, and nearly all of Saul's descendants have been wiped out, which was kind of standard operating procedure when you're the new king in town. You get rid of all the remnants of the old king. 
further, David has been solidifying his reign through a series of battles with the Philistines, the Moabites, like all the usual Israelite suspects when they go to battle. And so here is David. He's sitting on his throne in Jerusalem some years after taking on kingship, and he's, maybe he's reflecting on all that has happened to bring him to this point. I mean, you can almost picture David sitting there remembering his best friend, Jonathan, and the covenant that he had made with his best friend, Jonathan. You see, they made this covenant, this vow together, that they would show unfailing kindness, hesed in the Old Testament, unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness to one another as long as they live, and to their descendants when their descendants are gone. Unfailing kindness, chesed, the Hebrew word for God's mercy, God's love, God's grace that is shown to all of us. So I don't know about you, but I can picture David wondering, ah, I made this vow with my best friend. Is there anyone left in Saul's family for me to fulfill this covenant? My covenant with Jonathan, someone to whom I can show chesed. And Ziba, a former servant of Saul's, is brought forward and he sends to David that there is someone from Saul's house yet living. Ziba says to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. That's all he says. He narrows Mephibosheth's identity down to three things. He's Jonathan's child, he's a male, and he's crippled in his feet. Nothing more. Like, like really, you're going to leave it at that? Like, you didn't even say his name. Just Jonathan's son, you know, the, the cripple. And, and if you're going for brevity, why even acknowledge his disability? Was that even important? Like, all David was asking is if someone is related to Saul. You know, you could have just stopped at, well, there's still a son of Jonathan. Done. Especially when Mephibosheth's feet have nothing to do with the rest of the story. Like, this is what happens after that. They bring Mephibosheth to see David. He prostrates before the king. And David says his name, by the way. First thing, Mephibosheth. Do not be afraid. I will show you hesed, kindness. And he does. He gives him all the land of his grandfather, Saul, all of Saul's land and the proceeds from working that land. And Ziba and his sons and servants, they're going to serve Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth will eat at the king's table all the rest of his days. You can imagine that Mephibosheth has been in hiding since his grandfather was dethroned and his father was killed and he's watching all his relatives be killed as well. So you can imagine to go from hiding, fearing for your life, to sitting at the table with the king. That's huge. That's an honor. That's hesed, loving, kindness, mercy, grace. And it had nothing to do with Mephibosheth's feet supporting him or not. All that mattered to David was this covenant with Jonathan and David's hesed toward Jonathan's son. So why does Ziba choose not to share Mephibosheth's name, but to name him by his disability? Well, we can give Saul's servant the, the benefit of the doubt, maybe. We might remember that after David, this is a little bit before this moment, David had retaken Jerusalem from the Jebusites. And, and as they're in control of the city, they taunted the Israelites and they said, man, even the lame and the blind can defend this city from you. Even they can turn you back. So David says, whoever would strike down the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind whom David hates. 
Therefore, it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into my house. Talk about awkward moments. That's an awkward moment for David. Not exactly endearing, not exactly what I'd expect from someone who takes after God's own heart. He hates the lame and the blind, and that's why they're not allowed in the house of David? And so maybe Ziba's thinking like, hey, I don't know what David's going to do to Mephibosheth. All his aunts and his uncles and his cousins wound up dead on account of David. So maybe if I let him know that Mephibosheth is lame in both his feet, he won't summon him to his house. Because, right, if you're lame, you're not supposed to come into David's house. Or, or maybe if I tell him that his feet are, are crippled, that he won't see him as a threat to his throne since he's lame. And, and because he's lame, he's not considered a legitimate heir of Saul's. So maybe David will leave him alone and spare his life. Or, or then again, I mean, maybe that's just how Ziba thinks of Mephibosheth. He, he's the crippled one, inconsequential. Nothing important about him save that he's lame in both legs. He's the disabled kid. I mean, that, that, that seems to be the case with the author of 2 Samuel, I mean, Ziba has already mentioned Mephibosheth's disability, and we learn it has nothing to do with the story of David fulfilling his covenant with Jonathan. Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. That's all that mattered. And Mephibosheth will eat at the king's table all the rest of his days. And oh yeah, he's lame in both his feet. The end. Maybe it's the author making sure we know that Mephibosheth is no threat to David's reign over Israel, just like maybe that's what Ziba was doing. Or, or maybe, maybe it was, it, was, it was pity. I mean, Mephibosheth's disability has historically, in, in commentaries and throughout Christian and Jewish history, like, helped David come off even better, right? Like, Look at how nice the king was. Look at how he showed Hesed loving kindness to Jonathan's son. Look how he upheld his covenant. And not only that, but Mephibosheth was lame. Doesn't that just warm your heart even more? Like Mephibosheth is the tiny Tim to David's Ebenezer Scrooge. Like he really only exists because his disability makes Ebenezer's transformation that much more powerful. And we're all suckers for a good pity story, right? Like, which headline is more likely to move you? Like this one, David welcomes strapping young grandson of former king to his dinner table. Or David welcomes the crippled grandson of former king to his dinner table. Or how about this? Boy Scout helps 23-year-old track star across the street. <laughs> Boy Scout helps little old lady across the street. Sometimes I think it's pity that draws us to those stories. Not anything about the people, right, in those stories. It's pity that warms our hearts, and it's pity that reduces that little old lady and Mephibosheth to nothing more than their physical struggles. I mean, that little old lady could have been a real jerk. She could have been crossing the street to rob a bank or, or take candy from a baby but did anyone write that story about her? No. Our pity led us to focus solely on their physical impairments. 
The same thing happened to Darius in one of my favorite scenes from Darius Goes West. The crew had made it out to California, and they're spending the day at the San Francisco Zoo, and they're having a blast, as young guys are. They're cutting up. They're joking on one another. They're just being young boys, like out in the world, on their own for the first time. And, and then this moment happens in the cafeteria. We're at the San Francisco Zoo, and you would think one of the best stories there would be about the animals, but uh, we're actually eating lunch, and uh, we had some sushi and some wasabi with it. Come on, just give me the sushi. You want to try it? You know what it is? And we decide to make a bet, so we make this bet on whether Darius will eat a spoonful of wasabi or not. They eat some wasabi. 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 I can't say it. Hello. Gustavi? Give me two dollars. Yeah. Somebody will. Definitely. Well, no water. You can drink water. I can. Yeah. yeah. He did that. I don't remember if he threw up, but he was about to throw up. And spitting this wasabi out. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Give some napkins. Give it in. Give it in. Give it in. But he was laughing the whole time. And everybody in this cafeteria is just looking over at these crazy kids. Someone that was around us felt sorry for him. I was like, we're just treating him like one of the boys. It's the same stuff we do to each other. <laughs> If anybody in the crew would have pitied Darius, then we wouldn't have reached the level of friendship that we did. So for anybody that looks at that and says, oh, they're picking on him, they can just, you know, buzz off. <laughs> to me, Darius' happiness is proof that pitying someone just because they're in a wheelchair is irrational. I don't like people feeling sorry for me. I like wanting them to accept me and for me. It's the last thing in the world that we need somebody to feel better for. That night, it gave me payback. People in a wheelchair, don't try it. With a lot of it, it's hot. It will fire your booty off. <laughs> Man, that's my... <laughs> this infamous Goslavi incident... <laughs> It actually led to a big fundraiser for Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy. It was an early, one of the early viral challenges on YouTube as people and young kids in schools, when Darius would travel all across the country, they would raise money by daring each other to eat a spoonful of wasabi. And you can't help but laugh along with Darius and his friends. And you want to join in the fun, like they're having an awesome time. But did you catch the reference to the woman who took, took the crew to task? thinking they were making fun of Darius. And in interviews, they, they talk about this much more, about how she was berating them for teasing and laughing at this poor disabled boy. They go into more detail about how upset she was and how she confronted them. And, and you can see why she might think they're being cruel, especially if she pitied Darius when she saw him especially if she only saw Darius in light of his disability, if, if it wasn't anything more than his disability that she saw, only seeing him through these eyes of pity. I mean, these guys are laughing at some poor kid eating way too much wasabi. Oh, and he's lame in, in both his feet. She saw him with pity and couldn't see beyond that to see that Darius was just one of the guys like it was because his friends didn't pity Darius that they got to know Darius on such a deep level. 
that they were able to see him as just one of their friends. Their story ended with, and they all ate goslabi at King Darius's table. And then pity creeps in and adds, and he was lame in both his feet. That's where today's scripture lands us, in that tension between Darius in a wheelchair. I mean, you can't deny that. You can't deny that Mephibosheth couldn't stand or walk. His mobility was impaired. No one could deny that. But both of them are so much more than that one fact about them. So much more than their disability. We're all so much more than any one part of ourselves. We're so much more than our triumphs. We're so much more than our failures. We're so much more than that thing we did. We're so much more than that thing that was done to us. Darius' friends knew that. They saw Darius as their friend, just as he saw them as his friend. And when they sat together at that Goslavi table, they were all welcome. They all had a place, all of them, every part of who they were. They were there because, actually, they were there because of the covenant that Logan had made with Darius' brother, telling his older brother that I will be there for Darius for all of his days. And they were there because of their loving kindness for one another. David knew about Mephibosheth. He knew that he was lame in both his feet. Everybody knew But David welcomed Mephibosheth to his table, not because of that disability, not out of pity, but because of who Mephibosheth was, because of the covenant that David had made with Mephibosheth's father out of loving kindness for his childhood friend's son. And this is the beauty of our God, that our God welcomes all of us to this table today, He welcomes you to this table, not out of pity, and not because of any one thing about you, even if you somehow ended up with a blue star today. (laughs) That's not why you're welcome to this table. It's not because of any one thing about you, but because of everything about you. Because of the covenant that God made with you through His Son, Jesus Christ, out of God's overflowing kindness, is hesed for each and every one of you. That's why I'm, I'm so thankful to be a part of this denomination, this congregation, that we offer a place for all people at God's table. Not because of any one thing you've done, not one thing about you, but because of all of you, everything about you, and because of the thing that God's Son, Jesus Christ, did for you.